Born and raised in South Korea, she came to the United States as a student, climbing to the top of corporate America as a senior executive now living in Minnesota. Marking 70 years since the separation of North and South Korea, a strong warning against socialism. Next. Ginny Choi, thank you so much for joining me and being on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Glad to be here. I know we have a, a lot to talk about that I think is is so timely, and I commend you uh, for bringing this story forward. You live in the Twin Cities, we know now, but just give us a bit of your, your background, how you made your way to Minnesota, Jenny. Sure. Um, yes. As I mentioned, I'm a senior executive in finance industry with about 25 years of experience. I worked at Morgan Stanley, UBS, General Electric. Bridgewater Associate Hedge Fund. And now I am a CEO for a fundraising company and headquartered in San Francisco and co-founder of an asset management business in Korea. We moved to Minneapolis as my husband took a job as chief investment officer at an investment firm here in Twin City two and a half years ago. And so far we are loving it. That's wonderful. And and you came here though early on, uh, you said not even knowing English, uh, just as a high school student. That's how you came over to the U.S. That is correct. I came here high school, I sophomore year, graduate high school and college. And then since then, I started working. And I think it's why you have such a unique perspective. And I know you're going to share a bit about this uh, tale of two countries, as you call it, but since you know this, the subject well, but why are you speaking out now on all of this? Why has this become so Im- important for you, Jenny? Yeah, great question. Um, it's been some years. I started hearing about people wanting socialism in America. And at first I thought it was, you know, it wasn't that many people. And I thought, you know, they will come to their senses after they looked into more history about socialism and what happened so far. Obviously, that was my naive uh, naiveness and contrast to my estimation. Social, socialism movement grew quite a bit and hear more and more everywhere. And especially young people talking about socialism as this utopia. As a person who grew up in South Korea, I know very well what happens at the end of this wonderful idea, and I thought I should speak up. And more I spoke up, I then realized people really didn't know how North Korea started and how North Korea became the current North Korea everybody knows. And honestly, it pains me as a South Korean person to see and hear about how North Korean people are suffering every day. And yet we are talking about socialism in America. And I love America. I lived here majority of my life and U.S. has been great to me. I mean, I am living American dream, given that I thought it's my duty to speak up and help people to realize what socialism is about and when and people stop people, uh, America going down to that path. Let's dive in then to the differences between North and South Korea with with some history. 70 years ago, uh, in 1953, they were essentially the the same. As you've talked about, the main difference now is ideology. That's exactly right. Korea has a 5,000 years of history together. We share the same language, same culture, same history, same DNA. If I send my sample to 23andMe, they will tell me I'm 100% Korean. We share same DNA, nothing different for 5,000 years. And 70 years ago, in July 27, we were divided officially to North Korea and South Korea. Obviously, South Korea went with the U.S. and Western European countries. We went to capitalism and North Korea went to socialism along with Russia and China. And 
at that time, everybody literally in South North Korea believed the socialism is this great utopia where everybody share everything together, all the wealth is together, nobody rich, nobody poor, everybody will be taken care of, free housing, free education, free health care. And that's what they believed. And that's why they decided to go for it. But the problem with that socialism is start of that socialism. In order to that happen, government has to take all of your assets, all of your belongings, and that's where the violence starts happening. And not only the violence of killing your own citizens to take their assets and belongings, they start having public killings to create this fear in people. And that violence is where the so uh, socialism has it led to. And look at North Korea. Now it's under one dictatorship. And it is what happens with about just about every socialism tries in the past. In the end, they become this totalitarian dictatorship and they are very, um, they never get to socialism that they actually talked about. So that's why it starts speaking up. And you have uh, stark differences, whether it's the economy, even how long people people live uh, in North Korea versus, versus South Korea. But just talk talk some more about, about those very uh, stark differences. Sure. Um, let's talk about economics first. So GDP. A lot of people don't know that, but North Korea and South Korea, when we split 70 years ago, North Korea was twice as, as rich as South Korea. Obviously, we were both very poor, but still North Korea was twice as rich as South Korea. Now, South Korea's GDP is a per capita is $34,000 as of 2022. That is 57 times of North Korea. Simple as that. In 70 years, we became that different. Let's talk about also longevity. South Korean people are expected to live about 82 years old. North Korea life expectancy is only 70. And we expect that to go down given the fact that they are going through very severe famine right now. And height and weight, despite the fact you are genetically very same people, South Korean preschool children are about 13 centimeters, which is about five inches taller than North Korean children. That's a lot in children's height. And even in adults, North Korean men and women are about two to four inches shorter than South Koreans. And North Korean men and women are always about eight to 10 kilograms, which is about 17 to 22 pounds less than South Korean in average. It is a stark difference of same people who were separated for only 70 years, and you see this much of difference in the this many people. And you really have this control of the messaging also in North Korea as well, Ginny. You've, you've talked about no internet capabilities, no mail system. The only books uh, they can read are created by the North Korean people, cell phone ownership, uh, et cetera. Yes, let's talk about cell phone ownership for just a second. So uh, South Korea has about 60 million phones, which is more than one per person because our population is about 50 million. Um, so we have more than one per person in, in South Korea. North Korea has only about 3 million phones. That's only 5% of the South Korean. And that of that 5% of the mobile phone that is in North Korea, none of them has internet capabilities. Every electronics, phones, uh, laptops, or any electronics that they produce, it only, only has intranet um, capabilities, which is North Korean, North Korean dictates and controls. So therefore, they, South North Korean people cannot connect to Google or any of the website, and they can only read their propaganda made by North Koreans in books and everything. So they really have no idea what's going on. And that's what power of brainwashing is. I know it sounds crazy, but North Koreans actually believe that they are better off than South Koreans, but they really do. 
And it is because of the fact that they basically broke down everybody's own belief system in, the, in their own head. So that's why religion is prohibited in North Korea. If you are caught having religion, you'll be prosecuted because religion provides such a strong principle in people's mind and North Korean can't have that. So once the government breaks down all of the people's own belief system in the head, they can put anything into people's mind and they will blindly follow. And that's part of brainwashing of all those people in North Korea actually believe what they're being told um, at all these years. But that, that's remarkable. So people in North Korea think that they are far worse off in South Korea because that's what they've been told. Yeah, they believe they're far better off than we are. They think we are dying of a famine and we are basically getting killed by U.S. Um, in United in South Korea. They believe all these lies and they think America is the worst enemy, the white men are the worst enemy of the Korean people because they, North Korean people, genuinely believe the U.S. is killing South Koreans in South Korea. Well, and, and on that note, the only thing North Korea has on South Korea and, and the rest of us, for that matter, is this military might. That is correct. The only two statistics they are better than South Korea is two things. One is the army. They have 600,000 people ready to go and fight and kill all of South Korea at any given moment. And South Korean, we don't have that. And North Korea has a nuclear weapon um, to ready to launch at us or any of our allies at any moment. And we do not have that. But we have U.S. as our strongest allies in U.N. and Western European countries. So we believe that we have strong allies on our side to fight. But without that, we will be standalone um, against North Korea, China and Russia behind, which is pretty scary when you think about it. South Korea is a very small country. It's our size of Indiana uh, in the continent of Asia up against all these big, big, powerful countries. Wow. I know you've been called a conspiracy theorist and, and whatnot, but you do see uh, similarities in woke culture to socialism, uh, which is why you hope to bring this to, to more people for them to ponder before it's too late in, in this country. I know. I sound like a crazy person when I say there's a woke culture of the United States has similarities of North Korea and socialism, but they really do. And here are some of the things I can tell you North Korean parties or socialism um, do and, and make your, uh, make your see if that is a similarities of world culture. North Korean party and socialism decides what's right and what's wrong. A person no longer decides what's right and wrong, but it's a government and the system tells you what's right and wrong. And North Korea party and socialism dictates what to think and what vocabularies to speak and what to believe. They're very good at coming up with new vocabularies for people to speak and people have to speak those words to show their loyalty and they are in, uh, in with their North Korean parties. And the other thing that they do is that they ask all of their people to publicly denounce their enemies. Uh, whether it's a stoning them, whether speaking against them in public settings and so forth. And that's also what's happening in the United States. And North Korean Party and socialism, they believe they are the ones that are morally superior and morally right. And they, they think the enemies are the ones who sold their riches, uh, souls to riches or capitalism. And the one in the power, the United States and the white men. Again, very familiar. Uh, North Korean Party Socialism, they always strongly claim that they are the party for the working class people, the poor, the sick ones, and they love everyone and treat everyone equally. And they strive for the complete equality and equity. Also very familiar with the U.S. walk, walk movement. And North Korean Party um, Socialism also controls information distribution. 
And they claim that any other information coming out of outside of these channels are the fake news. So these are the, some of the very few uh, similarities uh, between the world culture and the North Korean socialism. And these are the reasons I am saying, hey, we cannot go down to their route. Well, wow, all sound very, very familiar. Do you think, uh, Jenny, people are waking up to this at all? You know, we're staring down potential COVID lockdowns again this fall. We hear about mask uh, mandates again, you know, after all that people ha- have been through. But what what do you say about about compliance? You know, what is, what is your advice about the, the bigger picture here? Sure. I really hope that doesn't happen, number one. Um, and we don't even have to look far outside of the U.S. for that. I mean, look at Texas, Florida, look at any other states that was Republican-led states versus not. Difference is very rare and very stark. And this so-called censorship, and that's just another word for taking away freedom of speech. Honestly, if we lose freedom of speech, the United States is not very different from North Korea or China or Russia. And we must stop that. Freedom of speech is just simply the freedom itself. Uh, so that's where I stand. Another mission of yours, I know, is converting Asian families and voters from Democrats uh, to Republicans. Why do you think that's possible and should, should be a, a real focus here? Yes, I strongly believe that's possible. And it has to happen because the value of Asian Americans are much more aligned with the values of the Republican Party, number one. And not only that, Asian Americans have done really well in Asia, in America. And a lot of us are living American dream, like myself as well. Um, Asian Americans need to wake up and really get to know what's happening around here. And if we don't stand up, our next generation will not be able to enjoy the success like we have done so far. Asian Americans are officially and openly getting discriminated in name of the racial equity. I mean, that's appalling. I think we need to wake them up. And once we wake them up and kind of make them see what is happening, I'm pretty sure they will all come into the Republican side and they will have to. And you say not getting involved is an active action itself. Yeah, I was one of them too. I didn't get really involved because... That was, sounds like a lot to fight and so forth. I had a busy career and so forth. And I thought not speaking up and not getting involved was just that and not getting involved. And a lot of people, I think, including me, we all think that we, if we stay silent on any topic around the table, we think we're just not active in that discussion, not for, not against. But the truth is that everyone on that table take my silence as I accept and I condone that view. I think that's why I started speaking up and choosing not to participate in conversation is really, in a sense, complicit in the act. On top of that, we live in this identity politics world where everyone's, everyone's opinion is just already assumed and decided based on our skin color and gender. So, for example, if I didn't speak up, everybody just assumes that I'll be a liberal and Democrat because I'm an Asian and I'm a female. So by speaking up and not staying silent, not only I let everyone know that I don't agree with what's happening, but I also make people a lot more comfortable speak up along alongside with me. And I think we need to stop these dangerous and ignorant assumptions about people and just diminishing everyone to just their skin color and gender. So I want to break this identity politics. And the best way to for everyone is to speak up and show the world we're far more than just our skin color and gender. Thank you so much for speaking up. Uh, your voice certainly matters to, to many of us, Jenny. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Jenny Choi, again, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.